Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way, and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and today we have Edward Buchanan joining us. Edward Buchanan epitomizes the postmodern condition of cultural wandering. He is the Black kid who grew up listening to violent femmes. The Midwest American boy who made it in the Big Apple and eventually found his fortune overseas in Italy. Designer of Sansovino 6, knitwear director of Off-White, head of BIPOC movement We Are Made in Italy, and most recently named the fashion director in Milan for Perfect Magazine. Unapologetically Black-owned and operated. Hey, Ed, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Now, do you prefer Edward? Because um, I feel like I always knew you as Ed, and then when I, I wrote that, I was- copy Ed, so let's just continue with Ed then, no? Okay. Edward well, now- is a bit more formal somehow, no? It is, but like maybe now that you live in like Milano and you're like Italian, like, I don't know. No, my family still calls me Ed or Eddie. They do. Okay. I can't ever imagine you as, as, as an Eddie, but Ed, Eddie, okay. Well, you know, that's like young Eddie, but you know. Okay, Ed, yeah. Edward, Eduardo. Eduardo, okay. And are you now speaking full Italian? I'm speaking full Italian. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking full Italian. It's been... Almost 25 years I'm here. Really? Yeah. See, I never aged people. I thought you'd only been there 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I often tell people, but it's been a yeah, it's been almost 25 years. So um, okay. I, I speak, I speak Italian. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. So it's 2021. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, is it any different than it was in 1995 when you first started, you know, out of school, being a black male gay designer? And you know, one would think a creative industry like the fashion industry would be more accepting, but historically black creatives have never received the same level of recognition or success as their white counterparts, right? So do you see any significant progress being made or do you feel like, you know what, there really hasn't been? Wow. You start with the, you, you jump right in there. I'm jumping you? right in. Do you, want, do you want me to start with Ohio? So you were born oh, in Ohio. No, 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 no. You, you, oh, you're you right. better. You're like, I better just grab. Let me sip my tea. <laughs> no, 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 no. <clears throat> Listen, I, I, um, I always say that I was raised in Ohio. I became an adult in New York and I became a professional in Italy. And that was kind of my, my passage, let's say, um, from okay. one thing to the next. But what I do realize is that um, in my, let's say, foundation years in Ohio, um, there are, were a lot of things about um, life and the creative process that I didn't necessarily understand. I didn't understand what being a designer was. I didn't, um, I didn't see a reflection of myself um, in places maybe that I wanted to be. 
um, whether they be creatives or on television or in advertising, you know, if I bought a pair of, I don't know, Calvin Klein underwear, I never saw a black body in them. I never saw right. a black hand holding, I don't know, Dove soap. You know, for, for me, it was kind of like, um, do we, do we not belong there? Or, you know, there was not, you know, in the educational process, you don't really start to kind of align those things. Um, so I arrived in New York and, um, what year Ohio, was this? In New York. So I, I graduated from high school in 1988. And um, and after um, I graduated from high school, I went to Columbus College of Art and Design, 88 and 91. So I arrived in, in New York in 91. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And um, so when I arrived in multicultural New York, um, I thought it was, it was a different playing field, a different space. Um, you know, I, I was able to to see other BPOC creatives um, like myself, not necessarily in the school that I re-entered because there were only few of us at Parsons. Um, really, even in that that year, really, there was only a few. There were, there were very few. There were very few. Um, wow. But at the same time, um, there were there were um, there were designers. There were there were uh, designers filling that space. There was. Byron Lars at the time, there was Gordon Henderson, who was my mentor. Um, you know, there were, there were, there was Andre Walker, you know, there were designers that were, you know, in a, in a sense, filling that space, but we never really had the impression that um, uh, we weren't necessarily offered a, a fair space within the industry yet. It was, I was still very green. So I was, you know, I thought that, you know, I could work really hard and and you know do a great job at school and graduate and then if I was if I, if I was good I was going to be able to get the job that I wanted and so um, when it was coming to my final years at Parsons I started um, the interview process and I realized mm -hmm. that you know Gordon Henderson put me in front of everyone I was in front of the Donna Karens and the Ralph Lauren's and the Calvin Klein's and um, nothing was catching there were there were no there were no job offers happening and um, this was, was 95, lucky. right? Yeah, 1995. yeah. And I was very lucky, though, because um, in that period, I was also doing visual merchandising. So I was, right. I was doing along with Rodney and and, um, and Albert. And so mm. I was making good money as well as being a full time student. But I was I was a designer. So I, I wanted to to move into design. And um, I was very, very lucky in um, that Rodney was working in window display at Bottega Veneta and um, and found out that they were looking for a apparel designer. So Bottega Veneta, if we kind of preface this, at that time, they only did accessories, Bottega Veneta. So they were only doing bags and shoes. They didn't have ready-to-wear yet. Um, wow, I, was I had no idea that Ronnie was doing the yeah. windows. For anyone listening, yeah. this is a dear friend of ours. That is so funny. And I didn't realize yeah. that they had only been doing accessories. I mean, I knew yeah. my mom always loved their bags, but anyway, go exactly. on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so they were only doing the woven handbags and accessories, and they were right. looking for an apparel designer. And um, I I knew Bottega Veneta, but I was like, I was like, I don't want to work for Bottega Veneta. It's it kind of like, like old lady, oh, oh, more old yeah. lady. I mean, I hate to say yeah. it. <laughs> Back no, then. Yeah, and then in the nineties at that time, it was like yeah. I wanted, you know, I was thinking like Helmut yeah. Lang. Yeah. I was Belgian. I was anything else, but like that. So I went into the store, and I was like. I was like, okay, so I've always been a great illustrator and I've always been able to present my, my, my ideas, even if I didn't know necessarily how to make them. Uh, I put together a portfolio and I met with the owner, the then owner was a family um, prior to Gucci group buying Bottega Veneta. And I Were met they with privately them. owned? 
They were privately owned. It was a family-owned business. And um, so I met with the family and um, Laura Motedo, um, who I still talk to to this day. Um, I love the way you say that. Laura Motedo. Okay. <laughs> and we met and I showed her my portfolio and, and it, was, it was quite, it was very, um, I approached it in a way like creating this collection of apparel that was the accessory to the accessories. Um, because I knew that when we had to go in there, we had to create something that kind of, you know, kind of propped up around the accessories. The accessories were the breadwinners. So, um, so yeah. I started with knitwear and leather goods, and uh, I ended up getting hired. And um, uh, two weeks after I got hired, I moved to Italy. So this is when I start to really answer your question. I, um, right. at that point, got the job, and I was like, you know, I got this job on merit. There was, there was, it wasn't about, for me, it wasn't at that time about black, green, purple, okay. white. I thought that, you know, I, I, I earned this position. I, I presented it and they hired me and I arrived into Venice airport, my very first trip to um, Italy. And um, I had long, if you remember, I had long dreadlocks at the time and yes. I probably had a sweatshirt or something. And I got off the airplane and they stopped me immediately. And um, they asked me if I had drugs. And I was like, no, I, I don't Wait, have Wait, what? I mean, you anyone mean they, knows Edward, you know, they know that Edward, you know, doesn't have a history in drugs. And, you mean and like I there was no problem. dog sniffing your bag? They just said you have drugs. They just like, you, you do have drugs? And I was like, um, no. And so they took me back and they stripped me like naked and they did Stop. a cavity search. So I had to spread my cheeks. They did a cavity search. They kept me there for two and a half hours. Um, I finally had to call someone from the board at Bottega Veneta to actually come and get me. And, um, and they finally were able to get me out. Um, and that was my welcome to Italy. And then I yeah. knew at that point that there, there was a space that I was in that was, it wasn't really like the, the others. And um, that well, was- Well, Giorno, huh? Yeah. That was where I started to really be- um, That's- An adult, yeah. Great. And how old were you that, at that time? So this was, um, was this- yeah, this was a uh, 90, 95. So I was still in my twenties, no? And that, and so that, and that, that was that was kind of, that kind of, kind of steered me into knowing that I was in a space or in an industry. Um, um, first of all, space, because I was arriving in, in Italy in, in, in Vicenza where I was arriving, um, there, there weren't very many blacks. If you were black, you, oh, in Italy at that time, you or sold Prada bags on the street mm -hmm. or, worked in fashion. So there were very few of us that occupied this space. And um, so we weren't, um, it wasn't a huge community. There were, there were others that were working on the interior structures of, of the industry, um, but we were very few. So um, it, was, it was a time um, in the 90s when, when large companies were hiring um, creative directors from overseas. I don't know if Galliano and, and um, Alexander McQueen, and so I, I found myself, uh, Tom Ford was at Gucci in the period. So I found myself in the, uh, as this young guy in the middle of this kind of uh, storm of changes. And it was my school in luxury goods. Um, and right. and um, it was a, a great experience. I learned so much about who I was at the time and who um, I became later on. And also about the, the industry and, um, and, and what it meant to me and, and how important it, it was for me to exist in the way that I existed in the industry. It informed a lot for me for the future. And right. also related back to my experiences, as I was saying before. So do you, so you've, you've obviously then, I mean, I'm assuming that today do you feel like it's a little better than that, right? 
And you um, stopped at the airport or not? Or is it just in, yeah. or is it just sort of, um, what would, I don't know how you'd say it, like hidden. You know, well, like I always thought Europe was better, but then watching your Instagram stories, I'm like, hmm, I guess it's not. I guess it is just as racist as the United States. Yeah, it is. I don't know. No, that you say stopping, I was just stopped the day before yesterday and um, I was at a, friend's, a friend of mine's house and I left the house and I, I, there was no taxi. So I started to call a taxi and I had a coat on. And when I looked up, I found myself surrounded by three police asking me, where are you going? What are you doing? So this is a, an ongoing process. To say that it is better or that it has changed um, is, is somehow complex because you, the, the, um, in Italy, the existence of, of let's say, BIPOC um, individuals, they always, on the papers, it's, it's less than 1% or almost 1%, but they're not calculating all of the migrants and, 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 mm -hmm. and everyone in the country. We're, we're many more than that. Um, within the fashion industry, um, the only existing member of the um, the Camera Nationale della Moda, which is like the um, in New York, the um, Council of Fashion Designers, it's the same okay. thing. Okay, like the CFDA, right? I don't, exactly, yeah. FDA. There was only one. There's only existing one black member in Italy of this council, and so in order for that to really change, Katie, um, the the power structures, the people at the top of the totem pole they have to be willing to relinquish power or we're never gonna change. You, you can't, um, you know, I always say you, you, you just can't have or talk about or even approach diversity and inclusion on the inside. I mean, on the outside, if you're not diverse and inclusive on the inside and these companies yes. are not, they are not in large scale. And, and we're not just talking about fashion, we're talking about, you know, yeah. industry. so Italy, um, it, it is dealing with, um, um, a bit of an overhaul and in, 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 in relation to George Floyd and everything that has happened in, in America and and they want to respond to that. Um, they oftentimes don't know how to respond to yeah. that because they say, uh, oh, we're looking at it over there, poor them, look at what's happening there, but they rarely look on the inside of what's existing and happening in their own country. And the fashion industry at large in Italy um, is dealing with these these issues. Yeah, it's interesting because I I really always thought it was better there in Europe. I don't know Italy spe specifically, but then in the past few years, it's like the Dolce Gabbana, yeah. things that have been uncovered. Um, I think it was Gucci that sweater. I mean, yeah. that was crazy that someone that someone thought that this is a great idea. Yeah, let's have a turtleneck. I mean, like what? I don't. And do you think that is literally someone in a room that they just have no idea? Or do you think someone subconsciously knows it's racist? Well, unfortunately, that's the thing is that, you know, when you are um, in a design office or in a design room, you have, you know, maybe the creative director and the, the, the design directors and you have the assistants and you have the fabric people. You have all of these people, okay? Yeah. You're in a design room making decisions. I don't know. And you know, a blackface robot comes up, you know, on the sketchboard. And if there's no one there to actually yeah. understand that this in part could be offensive to a part of your consumer base, no one says anything. No one says anything um, uh, based on being educated about it Possibly, but you know, the internet now, you know, everything is possible. People know, uh, you know, about the conversation of blackface. 
So it's either they don't care. Um, they don't want to lose their job, maybe. Or what, where there's also, you know, white supremacy in there. Um, they, they, they don't give a shit, you know, they really don't give a shit. And, and they don't necessarily think that it's going to uh, affect them in the end. Um, you know, what, what ends up happening, I, I tell you, is that even as these gaffes start to happen in Italy, and most of them are happening in Italy, if you've noticed. No, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Yes. Yeah. They're Very all true. out of Italy the last exactly. few years, last few yeah. years. If you see that these things are happening in Italy and you just wonder to yourself, you know, as a consumer, if you know that the, the companies are, are creating this type of ins, um, insensitive product, um, then you don't buy them. You know, we have a choice yeah. also. You know, our dollars are, 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 um, are speak, but it doesn't always work in that way. You know, it's, it's um, you know, where we're celebrity and, and power is seduced by luxury and, and glamor and we want to wear Gucci and we want to wear Prada and, and um, it continues. And it's, so it's right. a kind of a double-edged sword right. there, you know? Yeah. I've, I, and I, I think that's a really good point where if no one's in the room that is, uh, you know, if there's no black people in the room, they're not going to, no, there's no one to say, you guys can't make that turtleneck. Right. Exactly. That's how it happens. It's, it's it, as simple as, as it sounds. Yeah. That's what happens. It, it is, um, there's no one in the room to call it out. There's no one in the room to question. There's no one in the room to say, maybe you should make it purple. Maybe you should, yeah. maybe you should, you know, an alternative. There's no one to give an alternative to that process. And, and um, that's the, the bad and, and evil kind of existence of, of, um, of racism in this country. You know, it's, it's um, they don't want to be, um, the, the, the thing that they don't want to be, they don't want to be called out. They don't want to, they don't want you to be able to tell them um, that they've done something wrong. And again, that's the supremacy in- um, You mean they just don't want to look at themselves, right? Yeah, well, you know, you, you, you know, that's a scary place when you have to start to look in inside, you know? And, and um, Italy as a country is not, um, should not, is not um, um, missing in the, the colonialism <laughs> um, story. So, you know, they have a history as well. And I, I think, um, you know, also related to the history of Italy, uh, racism exists in this country. We see it every day. Um, uh, Do you think it's worse than this than the than the United States? Well, yeah, and it's a very different. Um, it's a very different energy, I would say. I think that um, Afro Italians, Italians, first second generation born here, speaking Italian mm -hmm. as the first language with a Milanese accent or a Venetian accent are never considered Italians. You have to remember, they are always really? considered Africans. They're not considered Italians. And, and there's a lot of also issues and difficulties up until you're 18, you cannot actually get citizenship as an Italian if you don't have blood in the past. And if you okay. don't, this document changes, it's like a, a big mess, you know? And, and it has, um, it has really, really very concrete and and um, and difficult, um, let's say, pressures on on young 
young, um, uh, let's say, Afro-Italians that are raised here. Right. They don't feel centered. They don't feel wanted. Um, and I can say Afro-Italians, but I can also say, you know, Chinese Italians. I could also say Latin Italians, you know, anyone that's, that's living here within this space um, that is an outsider or has, has a blood history from the outside um, um, are dealing with those things um, every day. You know, we still have the conversation, hear the conversation going around, you know, that, that Chinese people eat rats, you know, we're in 2021, you know, let's not even talk about the misogyny, you know, there's, it's a, it's a, it's a really, um, but that's really, I guess that's really my, even my question to myself, like, so has it, has it really changed or is it just, um, more hidden better? It's, it's the optics, you know, and that's what I was going to come back to say. It's the optics of, of, of how you can look, um, from the outside. But I think the internal structures of, of what exists here, um, have not changed that much. Um, it, wow. We, we the other day, there was a, um, a law that was being um, actually um, um, attempted to be passed within the Senate, um, which protected um, LGBTQ plus community as well as um, disabled and as well as um, um, against misogyny. And it was not passed in the Senate, which was like, you know, Hundreds of white men were like screaming, yes, we're happy that this isn't passed. So you see this, that we're, yeah, it's, it's, it was outrageous. This was just for like people's rights? People's rights. So they, they, they were, were defending the fact that they didn't want these people to be protected within their space. So if you know that that exists and you know a law such as that could not be easily passed within a country, then you know what you're dealing with. And how does that weigh on you Ed, mentally. That gives me a, let's say a heightened responsibility in what I do. In the space that I, I um, occupy, I, um, I work in, in an industry which is by in large part um, a luxury and it is a, an, an, excuse me, it's an industry where we speak about a beauty and comfort and and yes, well-being as well, but it is it can be extra somehow. So I always thought to myself that um, as I got older and as I, I developed more as a designer, I wanted to use my let's say my medium to to actually speak on things that people maybe in fashion didn't necessarily talk about. And I didn't know what that meant in the beginning stages. I think the first thing that I did was I created a collection where I launched these message scarves. Yes, thought, protect your neck. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I thought that the, these scarves in a way were, were words. Um, um, and if you remember when I launched those, it was in the beginning of the, the, um, the election period, um, the, the first Trump. Um, Wasn't it 2017? And so uh, the words for me meant there was resist, there was we are all migrants and uh, wake up, wake up for freedom. And so words and phrases can mean different things. This is going to mean one thing to you and it's going to mean another thing for me. Right. So to create these and I, I, I created these scarves, I paid for them with my own money and I gave them out. And this was an initiative to me to start to talk about, you know, what, what, what this really meant, check your neck. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then from there, um, I started teaching more. Um, education is the 
foundation and the key for us all. And I and I and I know it now. And I know that um, a country like Italy um, is never going to change if from the root and the foundation of what we do and what we're what we learn here is not shifted. You know, of course it, it has to happen at home, but I think from from my perspective in Italy, it's rare for them to have a black American man show up to teach them design. It doesn't happen. I think that's something special. And I think that's um, something that they, they shouldn't be surprised by, <laughs> which they that's are. That's so crazy that that uh, is a surprise. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the 2021. It is. So, um, but I, you know, with all that said, I, yeah. um, in the beginning stages, I think uh, I, I sleep, I still sleep very well at night, I think, but I think you can't help but go through, I don't know, this life in a way, living in a country such as this, as a black man and not every day, you know, because every day you're reminded, you know, that that you are not like the others. I, there's not really, there's not one day that I walk out of the, the house that I'm, I'm in some way not reminded. In that, Italy, you mean? In Italy, okay. yeah. So, um, you know, I always say, you know, we black people walk out of the door and they're immediately activists, you know, because we're always, you know, somehow, you know, having to to protect ourselves. It's like, or you walk down the street and the woman is holding her bag from you, or you're standing in line at the grocery store and the person next to you goes in front of you and no one says anything. It's yeah. like micro these microaggressions that exist within society. And, and you have a choice. You can either take those those on you know, you can take those kind of burdens and battles on, or you can kind of like skim by them and and um, ignore it and know that know, know, know that it exists within the society. But I choose the latter. I always say something. Well, I well, good for you. Open my fucking mouth. Each. I will never forget. It was probably two thousand early two thousands. I got in a cab with Cedric and Albert. These are two black men for people listening. And it was on 7th Avenue, you know, downtown. It wasn't like some right. super white area, I guess, in New York. And he was like, are you with these men? Are you okay? Wow. And I was like, like, I go, you know, we're going to get fucking out of this cab now. Like I go overboard because there are some black men that they kind of just go in the like, don't say anything. I don't want to get arrested, you know? And I think you're choosing the other. And I think it can be difficult because like I had an ex-boyfriend whenever something would happen with the cops and I'd be like, and he would just be like, you know, because it's like your condition, like you said, I think to either go silent or do you feel like you have to be a vigilante? Well, you know, you, you, can, you can choose those sides, but you know what, what ends up happening is that if you choose the, the, um, to be the responder, you have to know that um, that could get you killed. That could, um, you know, put you in in a situation where you you didn't have full control. It could go many different ways. So you know, we we always have to know, you know, once again the space in which we're 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 traveling and where we're working in. And, and and young people have to know how they respond, what they respond. You know, how does one respond to you know. A, a police, how does one respond to a person in the street? It's it's always kind of like, you know, just kind of like protecting your, you know, protecting yourself and you have to know how to protect yourself. It's, it's, it's a fucking shit show, you know? But I, I am somehow mm, determined in um, 
within my community to to make a difference. I'm 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 no longer a young designer. I don't I don't care about gloss. I don't care about celebrity. Um, I I've been working you know for more than twenty years doing what I do. Um, I I'm you know I consider myself successful from my from my perspective of what what success means to me. And so if I can use that and take this opportunity to to help others that that look like me um, that 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 didn't have or don't have someone to look up to that that could see a reflection in which is what I did not have so if I can be that for someone else um, that's already amazing so you know we're I'm working on several different initiatives um, I'm working on this initiative called we are made in Italy and, and it's a an initiative that I started with um, another designer uh, Haitian Italian designer named Stella Jean um, creative director and um, Michelle Ngomo, who is the um, the founder of Afro Fashion Week in Milano, and we created this initiative to empower and and build um, BIPOC talents that were living and working within the Italian space. Which it sounds strange, but um, they they don't exist. They haven't existed in in the working space. They're not in these companies, and they right. can't. Say don't exist um, because we know that they exist. So we, we're, we're here to feed them to them. So we mentor them, we, we help them build their portfolios. We, they got the opportunity to show for two seasons and the beginning of Fashion Week, it's five individuals each season. This season, the second season, um, they got the cover of um, Italian Vogue. I was gonna say, I feel like you, po you posted about it a few weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. So this is, you know, these are like the 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 steps that we have to take, and and um, and I know that speaking out and for these types of initiatives, and me along with Stella and um, Michelle, and also the other people that are part of our working group, mm -hmm. know that um, we also are putting our our careers and reputations on the line because everyone's not going to be okay with what we have to say. And, um, but I don't give a shit. Um, so people still even within, because, you know, you're at a certain level in the fashion industry and even speaking out at that, there's still people that would, I mean, punish isn't the right word, but like block your way. Yeah, of course. You know, it's kind of like when you, when you're speaking out against, uh, a company, you know, a company and a, a powerful cat, like a company. whistleblower or whatever. Uh, you're speaking out against a, a powerful Italian company that has retail stores all over the world. Um, they, their consumers are vast and, um, and they have power and, um, and people are really, they don't know how to handle power. They're afraid, people are afraid of power. They're afraid that they're gonna lose something. You know, if it's a magazine, right. they're afraid that they're gonna lose advertising. If right. it's a they're afraid that they're gonna lose work. You know, if it's, you know, it's everyone is afraid of losing something, you know, but you gotta right. lose or to gain something so I just don't see the point in in us just you know being conditioned and, and over and over again we have to fucking deal with this bullshit and so I I, I choose to um, push further and further and and that's a part of what I do and the the pressure is immense and I'm not um, it's 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 finding a balance I work a lot and um, it's difficult sometimes. I think my boyfriend would probably say that I work often too much, but I, I, um, 
I'm conscious of of trying to find the balance now that um, that uh, I have to be able to say, okay, you know, at six o'clock, you know, we're done, and then we right. move on to to life, or you know, making sure that you have proper weekends away. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I have never done therapy, and I just started uh, six months ago. I, that's so <laughs> funny because I was literally just going to ask you that because I said. I was going to ah. say, like, have you ever been in therapy or because it sounds like from what you've just said, even that your sort of way or in the past of mentally dealing with things is taking action. So how have you found therapy and what what have you learned so far? If you want to um, share that, I don't know. No, no, no it's fine. I, yeah. I just um, I just started, um, I guess, more than six months ago. And it was um, it was. Kind of related to pandemic being um, somehow in a space where I was, yes, very lucky to be working in a, a fairly new relationship, um, being separated from my family and my friends, um, losing um, a very, very dear friend, Mac um, folks, um, oh. uh, very mine died actually in the beginning stages of the pandemic and he was one of my dearest friends from covid um no it wasn't from covid well let's say we don't we don't really know know. the early stages but um it was it was a it was a a a very very difficult thing um he was based in in berlin but he was actually jamaican so um so after all that happened and we finally got back to after um we had to cremate his body and we came back to um to (sighs) italy and so you went to Jamaica? No, we didn't go to Jamaica. He he died in Berlin, but in Sorry, order Berlin. To, yeah, have the body cremated. He was kind of estranged from his family. So okay. we had to, all the friends had to come together. We had to get all the documents. We had to have the apartment cleaned out. You know, it was kind of like dealing with those things during a, a worldwide pandemic where you knew that you couldn't have a memorial service. You couldn't necessarily really say goodbye. Yeah. You know, so heartbreaking. Um, I, I was able to kind of handle that that situation, I think, externally very well. Um, internally, maybe not so well because I I, I never um, had to deal somehow with with um, with that something that close and and that um, let's say I lost. Mean, it's some, yeah, well, it's someone that you talk to like I talk to every day. You know what I mean? My my wow. When I bounce something off, you know, it was like Mac was the guy. You know, so. So that that separation. So I want to say that because of all of those experiences, yes, COVID, yes, pandemic, yes, new relationship, I thought that it might be a good time for me to talk to someone. And but I wanted to find someone that could speak to me in my language, being in Italy. And I also wanted to find someone who was black. And I thought that speak speak English, you mean? Yeah, speak English. Okay, okay. Speak English. And I and I wanted to find someone who was black. and I found um, a, a great, um, um, like fantastic. And my experience has been very, very interesting in, in that, and, and I guess I expected this, but you start to kind of un, unravel things that you never really consider, like, you know, how I deal somehow with procrastination, you know, when I have a lot of things on my desk, how, you know, why do I avoid them? Um, how do I um, distribute responsibility to my assistants? How do I work working in the same spaces um, connected to the, the space that I live in? You know, are all these things 
um, safe and healthy for me as, a, as an individual? Are you working too much? Do you have too much responsibility? Um, I was always afraid, this is one of the big issues. I was always afraid finding myself in a position of, of being successful. I never, I was never able to say I'm successful. Till, till, till this day, it's very difficult for me to say that I'm successful. Why do you think that is? Well, I, we talk about this a lot and I, I, I'm always in fear that, um, because I've been through the stages of my design and, and working for companies, it's been up and down, you know, working as a freelancer, um, it's, it's, I have gigs and then I don't have gigs and I have gigs, I don't have gigs. Um, I found a plateau and, and um, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm stable. Um, I'm buying my first office, you know, all of these things like lead to what people consider stability. But um, when you really think about not being able to say that you've um, achieved success in, in, the, in your beloved sector is, is, mm -hmm. is difficult. And I, I don't have all the answers. I'm still working on that. But I think it relates a lot to um, fear of, of tomorrow, everything kind of just like collapsing under you, you know? You mean like you're afraid to admit or say you're successful because it'll be taken away? Yeah. Yeah, somehow like... Um, so do you think that in some ways means that you don't think in some subconscious way that you deserve your success? I'm not... And I think you know me well enough to know that I'm 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 kind of this kind of like quiet creative, you know, and I I work with with care and, and honesty and, and I and I think um that my creative process is I don't know is a, a reflection of kind of this kind of uh, I don't know quiet and, and, and hidden. Like it's more internal. Yeah. But you're afraid to be sort of more external. Yeah, I've never been, I've never been right. that, you know, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, right. Um, I'm not, I'm not afraid of that, but I also think that uh, oftentimes it's, it's, um, it's hard for me to accept it's hard for me to accept an acknowledgement of, of success. I don't know. It's hard for me to accept a pat on the back sometimes, you know? I'm always like, oh, don't, you know, let's just go on. Let's do this. Right. No, I, I definitely relate to that. And I think, I think, I think for me, it's because it's always like, oh, it could be better. Or mm. they're just saying that. Or like, it's my own insecurity. Or I think of all the other things like that I didn't do right. Or, you know, so it's... Right. It's interesting because I, I, in some ways, like I envy people that are like, yeah, I'm the best, like I'm this and I'm that. And that, you know, like, and like the Kanye's, you know what I mean? They're just so cocky and so like, like they never, which probably isn't true, but you know, they don't have no, any doubt. Yeah. And people, people become enormously successful from, right. from that, that, um, Hype. and that energy that they have to actually yeah. be they convince themselves and, and in return they can convince others and um i've never been able to do that um i'm, I'm proud of what i've achieved and i'm proud of the work that i do and i'm not finished um doing work um but it's 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 oftentimes difficult to find um somehow let's say to feel grounded still. like you mean like, or is, do you feel like it's like you're not wanting to take up space? 
That's a very therapy question. But it's an interesting one because sometimes when people won't say like, well, I'm successful now or I did that. It's like, you're afraid to take up space or claim your space, you know? Um, uh, I don't know how, how many siblings you grew up with. I can't remember or what. I have two brothers and they're both older. You okay. know what I think it is? I, I think it has a lot to do also with, um, I, I, I moved to Italy at a time when there were a lot of things going on in my contemporaries, very close friends of mine. Um, and many of them became, you know, super successful and very famous designers. And we we were somehow, you know, raised like who? I don't I don't even know who you're talking about. Like, like there were there there are many, you know. My, my one of my best friends is Marcelo Brulon, you know. Marcelo Brulon became enormously successful. Ricardo Tisci became enormously. I don't successful. know who Marcelo. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All of these people. So, but this is what I want to say about that. And 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 yeah, no, their, no, no. their success. Yeah. Their success is 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 earned and and yeah. on, on different um scales and in in different ways it it, it was earned and and I'm, i was I'm, I'm happy for for each and every one of them what i have to say about that process um being here me as an individual as i wasn't always allotted or offered those opportunities that came to them and um this relates once again back to race um companies were not coming to me um, after I left Bottega Veneta, I was on my own, essentially, you know, I was I was very lucky that I got hired by a woman who was kind of uh, raised within the the culture of America and she saw the talent in in the work that I did and she hired me. This was at Bottega. This was at Bottega, yeah, the owner of Bottega. After that, these companies were like, they were yeah. not giving me the opportunity. I had to build it all up on my own. I had to put my name on the door and when I was able to create a face and build what I wanted to build and show it um, or via lookbook or show, then they can understand exactly what I was doing. And that's where they took note. It wasn't because someone else gave me the opportunity. So that's why I say you have to build up an enormous amount of, of self-confidence and, and assurance in order to do something in this way quietly It'd be much easier if I was, you know, somehow loud and and you know would easily force my way into the face of of people that I needed to actually help me along the way. But it was never my interest. So but maybe it wouldn't be. You may not be as good of a designer or as creator as you are. Yeah, maybe not. I, I'm 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 perfectly fine taking the stairs and not the escalator. <laughs> or the helicopter. Or the helicopter. Right. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm, 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 I'm also super, super interested and happy to, to discover what happens in, in, um, in therapy and how I can kind of like align. Yeah. This. Well, you should, I, I don't know if this was sort of my questions and then I want to get to all the mm -hmm. projects you're working on now, but Actually, when I wrote this last night, I like got very emotional, but I don't even know if you remember telling me this story. It was, I mean, it must have been the early 2000s and we were, I think having dinner, a bunch of us in the East Village and you had earlier in the week had gone to a dinner on the Upper East Side and the host was a you know very affluent white woman and I think one of your friends or fellow colleagues was 
that was either a client of theirs or a friend. And you were telling a story, you know, it was a seated dinner and you were telling this story and you finished telling it. And the, and the host said, wow, you are just so well-spoken for someone like you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I get very emotional because I, I can't imagine that that that's what that's like. Yeah. And you're like, oh, what? Cause I'm talking like Andre Lee Talon and not like, you know, like the dishwasher. I don't, yeah, do you remember well, that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I, well, I'm this, I, I don't remember necessarily that okay. specific story somehow I do, but I, I, um, I, I can imagine that it's happened to me and I'm sure I can recount that story yeah. like a thousand times. Yeah. But what, what is, um, it's kind of like, uh, in a way, the feeling um, when I find myself on a street walking behind a woman and and she sees me and she you know she she shifts her bag over to the other side. It's a very subtle microaggression, um, it, as this is very subtle in a way because the person that's saying it somehow thinks that they're complimenting you. Yes, and it's not a compliment. That's the skeevy. That's the skeevy, dirty. Um, supremacy of it all that they really think that they're saying uh, they're giving you a compliment when it's yeah fact, or like when you're on the phone sorry to interrupt you but if you're on the phone with someone and then I've, I've had a friend of mine who's like tell me this and then they meet them in real life they're like oh I didn't know you were black yes because you don't you don't sound black on the phone yeah 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 it's it's um it makes me sick yeah well this is why I I I'm adamant and, and I insist on the educational process and, and, and these things, often these things, yes, they start at home, but, um, you know, education is everything. You, you can't, you know, you can't, an individual like that, they, that process, they learned from somewhere. It didn't just arrive. I, I think from the dinner table, the family, yeah. like the parents and like what, what you grew up around. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that conditioning is just like, you know, what, yeah, it has to come from somewhere, and and, and it's uh, it's unfortunate um, that we uh, are still we still expect that performance um, when we find ourselves in these spaces, and and still I'm 51 years old, and I can I can see it happening still. Well, what would you say today if you were at a dinner party and someone said that? Um, well, that's. They wouldn't expect you to say anything, but you could say, um, well, you know, I, I was probably educated within the, within the same system that you were educated in. So why would I speak any differently than you? Right. You know, you just give them a little like, you know, that's not okay. It's not okay. Mm -mm. That's, yeah, and then they get really uncomfortable. So when you tell them it's not okay, when you call them out, oh, I was just joking or, oh, I was just, and then it becomes, yeah. you know, becomes performative from their side because they're embarrassed and they don't know how, they don't know how to handle themselves. Um, I remember Roddy used to tell me if he walked down the street and, and someone pulled a bag over from him, he would pull his bag over too. Yeah, well, that's, you know what, that's, but that's Exhausting. a great response. What'd you say? Exhausting. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure. I will never know what that feels like, but I hear it from my friends all the time. And, in, and I'm amazed that, or I guess I'm not amazed that it is still going on today. The phone thing, you know, that just happened okay. a few months ago. Someone was telling me this. Well, let me let me parallel this for a second. In, in Italy still, you know, on television, they still have young women dancing on box on talk shows. 
um, scantily dressed women dancing on boxes as showgirls with old men host. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a society, a twisted uh, society full of misogyny and, and hate for women. And it's, it's um, on that end of the scale as well. You know, we're, we, we see it every day. The treatment of women in this country is absurd. It is. Absurd. No, and people, I, I mean. I it's... mean, you walking down the street in Italy, with your blonde hair, honey, they're gonna be chasing you down. I remember, I haven't been to Italy in ages, but I remember just going to Florence, not even Milano, and it was like, you felt like a piece of meat. Yeah, yeah. And they given to the dogs. Exactly, yeah, they think that you have no, you know, know, the decision is not yours. Like no purpose, but for them. So can you tell me about, I know that you're working on different projects. I just wanted you to sort of, Take us through what I'm um, doing. Yes, because I know you're doing like, are you, you're you're working, you're doing all the knits at Off White, right? With Virgil still, and then the Perfect Magazine. So I just want to hear everything you're up to. Yeah, well, I'm uh, jack of many trades. So uh, with Off White, okay. Virgil, yeah, no, that's good. It's a good thing. I, I'm I'm the design director for the knitwear for the women's and okay. the men's. So um, both collections and is and there I, stuff I, made in Italy? Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I really, I enjoy working with Virgil. We know each other for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I get his process and he gets my process and we, we have a maximum and mutual amount of respect for each other. So um, the job um, I still find exciting. And yeah. um, it's a, a company which which found a, found its, its a real space within the market within a very short amount of time based on, um, you know the, the 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 marketing genius that, that Virgil is, and yeah, and so, um, so it's an interesting project. It it um it um it requires time, but it's an interesting you know side of my brain. You know, along with doing that, I do I still do uh, Sansovino Six, which right. is my collection, um, which is ambiguous. I just kind of do whatever I want, and it comes out whenever I want. Um, usually it comes out in the fall winter season. So I'm working now on fall winter um, that will come out um, in around February. Anyway, it'll come out. If it's not, then I'll just put you the month after. That must be nice when you're just doing, when you have your own thing and then it's not this crazy calendar. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I've worked up to that, that arrived at that point where um, I, I just, I'm, I'm not going to chase the system, you know? No. I'm gonna, you know, manage to do what I can um, um, and do it in a minimal way and do it in a sustainable way. And so um, this is what, what I'm, I'm, I'm working on. What are your thoughts on like sustainability? Is the fashion industry just so wasteful? Because it's funny, like my partner and I, Ali, with, for the podcast, we've started just making like little merchandise. And, you know, it's like five years ago, I would have been like, let's make leggings and let's make sweatshirts and let's make this. And now I'm like, ooh, let's make these tote bags from North Carolina, 25 units. And it's, um, I don't know, it's such an interesting topic because if it didn't exist, there, there would be no job. A lot of people would lose their jobs. I mean, fashion is aspirational, but you don't want to be wasteful and we don't want the planet to disappear. So is there a happy medium? Well, the happy medium also can be what you've done today. You know that jacket still looks great on you. You know, and 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 the idea that we recycle our own wardrobes is just 
is just what we do. So the idea of uh, vintage and the idea of of recycling one's own pieces right. um, is is a sustainable way of of living. In the design process, you know, it it's difficult. We it can't be yet one hundred percent sustainable. You know, we're, we're working on um, and I've always done. You know, I've used recycled yarns. I've always used recycled materials. You have always, even with these, I feel like, yeah. I've always worked in in a a, a sustainable in the direction of a, a sustainable collection, whether it be the materials or the processes that I'm working in. And with that said, for me, the exhaustion in developing a collection was always, why do we have to do so much? Like really, like seriously, we really just don't need it. So, and, and so I also, within my process, because I work specifically on knitwear and with the companies that I work with, um, it's important that I'm suggesting sustainable alternatives um, to the creative process. So whether that be what they're using to make it with, where they're making, with, making it, how they're making it, um, all of these things relate to um, um, the process. And I think, you know, the future is, is has, has to be that. We, you know, we don't have any, 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 any um, other option actually, but to think in that terms of, of doing that. But there's a lot of collections that have come out in, in Milan that are, um, that are upcycling and recycling. And, and it's kind of a big, you know, it's a big conversation. It's a, it's a w much needed conversation that's yeah. happening. Well, no, it's easier said than done. It's, 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 it's it actually, is. it can be incredibly expensive yeah. to make Absolutely. something all of people are like, well, why don't they do it? And I'm like, do you know how expensive this would be? Even more expensive. Like, to, yeah. To have a knit made out of plastic bottles. Like it's, you know, they, I don't think people understand that or the knits I we're making these t-shirts or then, then there's a company here. They make them like out of garbage. The knits don't feel so good, honey. Right. You, you may not want them. <laughs> I know you gotta you gotta work through that process and get the you know you gotta get the hand feel good you right. know that that um that recycled it, the cashmere tufts so there's there's not really great sustainable cashmere's now that have a great hand um, that's great we have to think in other ways we have mm -hmm. to think in other ways about what our use of of everyday products are that we have on our body you know what how we use clothing, how we recycle and re reuse things that we've already had or other people have or pass on to others. And I think that's gonna be the the way. That's where that's where um I've been always thinking, but that's where I'm I'm still thinking, even with the other other projects that I'm doing as well. And then I do, yeah, I, I, I do do several other um, I, mean, I know you do a lot of consulting as well. Yeah, I do a lot of consulting as well. So tell me about is it just is it just called perfect? Yeah, it's okay. called yeah, it's called Perfect Magazine, and you know this is. Oh, a it funny is Perfect story. Magazine. Perfect okay. Magazine. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a new magazine, and it's right. it's was spearheaded by um, Katie Grant, and um, London based Katie Grant, and and she has a um, a team in London, and I, Katie, I know Katie for you know twenty something years. She was the first stylist that I worked with at Bottega Veneta. Really? So, yeah. So we worked with each other years ago. And, and we, we um, after that, we recently worked together on a, on a consulting project um, for Fila. She did a, um, a Fila collaboration that I worked with her on. And we just had such a good time. It'd been so long, so many years that we hadn't worked together. And, and, um, and she said, well, I'm, I'm kind of tired of suggesting you to other people. I wanna 
I want to work with you on, on my magazine. And it's, it's interesting for me to discover and make discoveries in a place that I live in and, um, and relates to a large scale magazine because we're kind of creating these things that all kind of encompass what happens within this magazine. So they have, I'm the creative, um, I'm the design, the fashion director for Milan. Okay. And the fashion director for Paris. Okay. And, and then there's a team in, in, in London and um, it's a, it's a super jolly team and, and I'm having good fun. You know, it just, I just started the season. It was actually the first season that I went to shows. So I wrote my first kind of reflection on what it was like to actually go to shows because I never go to shows. I'm always behind the stages, yeah. behind the, the scenes. And like, yeah. and post COVID shows. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Was so it weird? Is, like, was it different? It was kind of weird. I was actually surprised how, um, how crowded and how yeah. back to normal people went, you know, the- How the, what? How back to normal. Um, yes, kind of, how quickly? Super fast, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, the, the, the paparazzis were out, the, yeah. the, the bloggers and the, they were all out, you know, with looks and taking their photos and uh, there was space distancing within the shows. So you couldn't, you know, and the shows had sometimes three times less people at the shows. Cause they, so they did space people out in the show, actual show. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and so that was a bit of, of a shift. So that's, so is this actually a print magazine? It's a print magazine. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. It's, cool. It's, a, it's a print magazine, but it has a, a, a digital face as well. Yes. So you can see the, the Instagram is, is the perfect magazine. Okay. And the website is per, the perfect magazine. And how and many issues will come out a year? They've done, um, they've done issue zero and then issue one, which is out right now. Okay. And issue two. So it's kind of like, you know, when it's ready, it comes out. Okay, got it, got it. And it's going to be very interesting. It's a very interesting team. And we're working on like some super, super interesting, um, let's say, cultural crossing projects that are going to be really interesting for the future. It's going to be, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, I, I like the, the idea of, um, of working with a team such as this. It's a super creative team. And it's cool that, that she has so many like different from different yeah. countries. Like, I mean, yeah. I feel like most magazines don't do that, do they? Um, no, not, the, not independent magazines, because this yeah. is an independent magazine and, and, and it's a super, it's a beautifully inclusive um, group of people. It's like, she's, she's got a, she put a really great team together. And, and um, so I was excited to, to um, a bit, let's say nervous at first, right. but then I was like, I got this, you know, you can do this. Yeah, you more. can do this. So do you feel balanced right now? Well, my my, it's interesting that 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 you you um, pull up that quote because my, I had to check myself. My my therapist was was the moment where I needed to check myself, and that was because things were crashing crashing together. Um, it wasn't because I was, um, let's say, I wasn't in a position where I didn't have work. I wasn't in a position where right. I didn't have. Love. I had those things. You have I what have love? Love. I have love. Right. I'm career. I have um I have work. Um my, my, my family's is 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 pretty healthy. So it wasn't I wasn't by let's say the the um the scale of what we think a good life is, I, I didn't have any any issues, but I knew that if I didn't get these things kind of 
under control kind of within within my head that I could spiral into somewhere else. And I knew it was the perfect time. And actually my 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 boyfriend who's a doctor. Oh, uh, oh, okay. Well, dropping these little gems. He's a young doctor and he and he Oh, um, young doctor. What kind of young doctor is he? He's a young doctor. He he works at a um a a, a facility for um uh, mental health patients and and they oh, all wow. have different various conditions and um and it's a, a foundation in um, in Pavia. So along with doing many other things, but he's yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. So so but he he suggested to me and um, when he first suggested it to me, it was shortly after I think we had been dating maybe for a year and uh -huh. then I didn't I didn't um, I said yes and then I didn't didn't find the the therapist and he kept reminding me he was like you should find the and so I finally, I finally did. And, um, and I'm um, with, with that quote, uh, I would say that that was the moment where I, I knew that um, it's gonna be good for me to have someone to, to talk to and sort some things out. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I think everyone should be in therapy. It's great to talk to someone that's just totally subjective to what you're saying. Totally, totally. And, 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 and with that being said, doing it, I mean, it feels like like um, I I've been doing it for for ages. I'm I'm super I'm I'm super thankful for for the sessions that I have. It's really like reflective and it's it's um it's tragic and it's beautiful and it's and um, I think we all need to have and find those spaces where we can actually reflect on those things that we don't really know that we need to reflect on. You know, I never talk about my father, for instance. You know, I don't talk about my father. I don't have a relationship with my father. Um, he shows up every now and then. Um, but why is it that I somehow don't, he's still living, you know? Why is it that I don't reach out, you know? So there's, you know, those those kinds of things that you, you, you need to kind of like, you know, be questioned on and, and start to think how and why yeah, and figure out why is that? I mean, sometimes I tell anyone, it's good for you to say this though, because sometimes people find therapy really scary and daunting that have never been. I mean, I've been in therapy my whole life. So to me, it's like, but sometimes I like to say to anyone, like when you first start therapy, you may feel worse because mm. it's like shaking up a rug. So yeah. all the dirt's going to come up and it's going to feel like if you're, or if it's a good therapist, if it's a therapist, it's just like, telling you what you want to hear or whatever. I mean, you're wasting your money, but, exactly. but sometimes you're going to feel more upset or worse, but, but that's growth. It's you'll get through it. Sure. I, um, I wanted to be able to, you know, you, you also want to be able to face, you know, the dark patches and the light patches. You want to be able to face it all or, or be able to talk about it all. So um, I say early stages because, you know, the first few months of therapy is like very like, like you don't have to like tiptoe into the situation and then when you really start to really reflect on on things you're like what the fuck you know like seriously well no I'm, and also you're sort of like you have to tell someone your whole life story you know yeah 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 i'm 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 like everyone go find the right one now you do, it's like dating and i mean you're lucky you found a good one right away sometimes you I know, find some I know. but you'll know you'll know 
All right, the five questions we end with. Number one, what do you do for a mental break? So like for fun, or if you just want to kind of turn off your mind. I uh, watch Netflix. Um, we have, this This is going to make sense to you. Um, I thought you were going to say The Housewives. No, my boyfriend bought me for um, my last birthday, I think it was, um, a projector and it changed my life forever. Yeah. So this projector can, you can be in the bedroom and it can go on the ceiling or you can be in the living room and it can go on the wall. And um, They're great, I, people love them, right? I'm, I'm sold on it, but I have never until this past year watched Drag Race. Stop. And, and so you have like your gay card taken away. I like, know. This is I'm embarrassing. Like, I'm like catching up on the drag race situation. So it's like pose and drag race. And yeah, like, so I'm, I'm catching up. Now I can get what my season game. are you on? Drag race. Uh, now we, we started watching we yesterday, strangely enough, we were watching um, um, drag race Thailand. Because, oh, yeah, there's so many, right? Yeah, because I have the wow, W-O-W, I have the wow thing, you know? So anyway, this is a, this is a, this projector thing like changed the game. So that's I can like, great. that's my turn off. Yeah, for sure. That's great. When is the last time you cried? Last week, my mom, I miss my mom and I have to, yeah, that's, that's the, my mom is in, in Florida. Okay. And, um, and during COVID, my mom was, um, she, she fractured her hip. So she had to go into therapy and she got into therapy in this um, in this rehabilitation center, and she got stuck there doing all of COVID. In Florida. And so she's been living in Atlanta, and then she moved to Florida. So she's been she's been there, and you know she normally lives in Atlanta. So now we're in the process of trying to get her back to Atlanta. My I was going to say Florida. she doesn't normally live in Florida, does she? No, no, she normally lives in Atlanta, but she's in Saint Augustine, which is an interesting city. But um, I just you know I'm so far away, and this is the only thing about me right now um that is kind of like it sits on my neck as the distance between me and my mother and um and not having been able to as much as I had in the past be able to travel and see her so um yeah so, so you know, she, oh, my mom always makes me cry though she didn't have to say she could smile and she makes me cry so she's the she's the you know I'm not a crier but like my mom like what sign are you I'm a Gemini okay I love Gemini men. I'm a rising Sagittarius. Oh, okay. No one, no, because that makes sense. Sagittarians are very um, sensitive, creative. Are now, are you, what are the rules? Like, can any, I don't even know what the new laws are of going to Europe, people coming here. I, I, I can, I can travel now. I can travel um, as an American. Um, okay. America coming, America, I mean, Europeans going to America, I think the first week of November now, they can start traveling. Okay, I think you're right. Cause my friend Cliff was like, we need to go to France. So now we could start going there, but you have to be vaccinated, right? Yeah. But I think that's good. Yeah. I'm going to be in, I'm going to be in the uh, States, States the first week um, of December. Um, okay, number three. What are you currently reading? I just fin finished read. What did I read this summer? The last book I read this summer, I read two books this summer. I'm always continually reading James Baldwin, but there's a, the, the, this passage is. Wait, which James Baldwin book? That's funny. The last guy I interviewed, he was reading a James Baldwin book too. This My country, what was he reading? What? My country, what was he reading? 
I'll have to go back. It was the last interview we aired. This amazing guy um, lives in Oakland, Rashad. He's a chef. And you, you're, so you are always reading my country. Yeah, but because you know why? There was another one he's always reading. Yeah, but yeah. And you know why? Because um, I got, <laughs> this is a strange story, but my ex-boyfriend, I got, I ordered him um, there. I was looking for a, um, how do you say, a book? Um, like a volume? A yeah, a vo yeah, volumes of all the, yeah. the James James um, Baldwin novels. And um, and I ordered them from, I never, you, you couldn't find them. You couldn't get them to, to Europe from um, eBay. And so I ordered, I only got one of them and then the other two didn't show up. So I had to cancel them. So I'm gonna have to get them in the States. But I say that because the one that I got was actually my country again. So I started reading. Okay, so you started reading that again. Okay. Um, what Number four, what is the best and worst advice you've been given? Um, the best advice that I was ever given was you cannot be responsible for the things that you don't have time to do. Okay, okay. All right. And the worst advice I was given is someone telling me what they don't know won't hurt them. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, because that is bad advice. That's such bad advice, no? What? Okay. Oh, my early relationships. Yeah. Okay, and the number five is what Instagram mm -hmm. account do you find uplifting, if any? Like social um, media, you know, it can be so toxic or is there even a um, website or something you go online or somewhere that you find, wow, I looked at this and I'm inspired or... I mean, for very different reasons. Yeah. I love, I love um, um, St. Hoax. I know. <laughs> Which, so yeah, I mean, it's just so good, but just politically on point and, yeah. and it, it, I'm, 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 I'm always so um, stimulated. It's funny, but I'm also stimulated by, by the subjects. I think it's, it's, it's I mean, funny. no, he's like kind of like a creative genius. I mean, to make all yeah. that, that's not easy to do and to come up with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's outrageous. What do I find myself looking at all the time? I'm, I'm terrible. Um, I'm really terrible with Instagram. Um, most people think I'm like this digital savvy guy, but I'm like, I'm really awful with it. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I always am able to find kind of the beauty. Who thinks that you're a I'm, digital savvy guy? I wouldn't describe you as a digital. I know, no. Well, every, what do you every, mean because of your like stories that are political? Yeah, yeah they always think I'm like I think this that's just, But that's just you. So maybe people think you have an angle or something, but it's just you. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's fine. You like, you were basically saying that St. Hoax is your recommendation. That's my, that's my, my, my situation. Your situation. Um, wait, I was, I was going to tell you to go back. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the second one that I was telling you about the James Baldwin was again, Giovanni's Room. But Giovanni's Room, you know, once you read that, you read it over and over again. But I read it over again because my boyfriend had the book also and he read it. And so I read it again. Now, were you guys reading it at the same time? No, he finished it and then he passed it over to me again. Okay, because that would have been too much for me. You guys were like sitting on a beach, like both reading. Reading, reading Giovanni's Room together. No, together. together. <laughs> oh my God. Um, all right. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode and a huge shout out to Edward Buchanan for joining me. We were so thrilled to have you. Uh, where can our listeners find you? Um, your listeners can find me at um, San Savino 6 
which is my collection, or they can find me on my personal account, Edward L. Buchanan. Okay, great. That's all, folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU, and we can be found on Apple and Spotify. Tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.